Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Wednesday, November 17th. Today on the show, we've got your golden nuggets from the guys at Club and Country, a very important recap of the college football playoff rankings, a quick piece of psychological analysis as it pertains to the Tennessee Titans fans and the national media, but we take a look at just how productive this Tennessee Titans rushing attack has been without Derrick Henry. The 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group, Nashville's award-winning locally owned custom home and remodeling firm, and you know the deal by now. They've been in business and they've been in Nashville for over a decade, and they've been successful because they are trustworthy and their process works. If you own a home and you're thinking about making a huge decision, financially or otherwise, make sure you talk to the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. Talk to the Kingston Group. It's not that much to ask. Just have a conversation. I promise you will benefit. BuildKG.com. So let's check in with how well the Titans' rushing attack is faring without Derrick Henry. What are these stats, and what does it mean for this Titans' offense moving forward, for now at least, without Henry or Julio Jones? Adrian Peterson and Dante Foreman have carried the ball 34 times for 101 yards and caught four passes for 52 yards. So that's 38 touches for 153 yards in two games. Certainly, that does sound a lot like one game just rushing for Henry. So on the surface, it doesn't seem like that will be good enough for the Titans to keep winning. However, it's important to remember that the Saints are the number one rushing defense in the NFL, and the Rams are number 10 in the league against the run as well. And oh, by the way, let's mix in another 15 touches and 43 yards from scrimmage for Jeremy McNichols, who frankly could get more touches in the passing game if you ask me. So this is an offense still adjusting to the glaring king-size hole in its backfield, just two games in. A trio of backs are producing almost 100 yards from scrimmage per game on about 25 to 28 touches. Ryan Tannehill has also scored a rushing touchdown in both games. And Dante Foreman's long screen pass led directly to what was the game-winning field goal against the Saints. And oh, by the way, the Titans won both games. So to me, I think you can argue this is a solid B+. Maybe almost even an A-level replacement job by the Titans. Because you cannot replace Derrick Henry. It is impossible. But creating some basic level production in the form of three different guys who bring three different skills to the table that will allow Ryan Tannehill and Todd Downing to keep their core play-action philosophy intact... Well, frankly, that is all you are asking this collection of players to do. You have Foreman and Peterson running the football in sort of a true running sense. You've got Jeremy McNichols, who's able to make things happen in the passing game. And even Ryan Tannehill can contribute out on the edges with his legs. And that's all you're asking this collection of players to do for a short period of time until, fingers crossed, a healthy and rested Derrick Henry can return to the lineup to dominate in January. So I guess I have to say something, chime in, throw my two cents in when it comes to this Titans national media conversation and about, you know, what about outside personnel, people in the national scope that aren't at practice and don't know exactly what this team is all about, having things to say about this Titans team. And frankly, the bigger issue why Titans Twitter, which is not reflective of real life, is actually just unbelievably too sensitive about the entire thing like I work at ESPN I work with Keyshawn Johnson why would you care what Keyshawn Johnson has to say about your football team Uh, everyone knows who the smart football people are and the smart football people know exactly about the culture that Mike Vrabel and John Robinson have implemented for the Tennessee Titans we've talked about it on this show for two weeks now 
about what is it that makes this team special, this organization special, and why they're capable of overcoming and overachieving and all these you know, terms for a team that just knows how to win. And it's important to remember, you Titans fans, like you're better than that. Don't take the bait. You don't have to just get sucked into whatever social media hot take vortex is out there. But at the same time, you also have to understand that television decisions are not football decisions. TV executives do not decide to not put the Titans on national landscapes, national television platforms, because they're bad at football. That's not it at all. It certainly doesn't hurt that Derrick Henry's not playing. But the reason the Tennessee Titans are not on national broadcast has nothing to do with football. It has everything to do with the fact that they are a young fan base. You are a young fan base, less than 30 years old in a market that's not even a top 25 market in terms of size and scope, and that's the end of it. You do not draw the Giants, a bad Giants team, a bad Washington football team, a bad Philadelphia Eagles team. You know, this. we'd love to hate the NFC East on television, but they draw big numbers, and that's the difference. It has nothing to do with how good they are at football, and it has everything to do with the fact that they draw a large audience over the last 100 years. It's a time and size piece of analysis. It's a time and size decision, not a football decision. And I don't, I just, as long as you can separate those two things, I just don't see how you as a fan need to worry about what it is television executives decide about your franchise and whether to put them on or not. Uh, Fine, be upset that you're not getting exposure, but it has nothing to do with how good or how bad you are. It has everything to do with the fact that this is a young franchise in a small market. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. It is a different calculus, a different decision. And the sooner you understand that, the better off you're going to be. In the college football playoff rankings, as expected, nothing in the top seven changed at all. One through seven were exactly the same as they were last week, which makes this weekend, frankly, one of the most stable of the entire season. For SEC fans, Georgia was number one, Bama was number two, nothing really to see here. And then the third best team in the league, well, that was Ole Miss at number 12. And it should not go unnoticed that the Rebels could be a 10-win program and the third best football team in the SEC this year, which would put Kiffy in Coach of the Year conversations, whether you like it or not. Texas A&M is number 18 and is one spot behind Wisconsin for the highest-rated three-loss team in America. I'd just like to point out that the highest-rated three-loss team in the country is a top-15 team, and that is basically all you need to know when it comes to the chaotic nature of the 2021 season. Arkansas moved up to number 21, which is awesome, and Mississippi State is number 25, which is okay. Other things to note, Oklahoma State is the highest-rated Big 12 team at number 9, with Baylor at number 11 and Oklahoma at number 13, who is clearly getting zero respect from the committee at all. Wake Forest is the highest-rated ACC team at number 10 and is the league's only chance at a playoff berth, and even that is a very, very long shot. Otherwise, it was a pretty basic new ranking release on Tuesday, and it's nothing to get worked up about really at all which I realize is probably unpopular and not great radio, but it's true. The rankings are fine, just fine, which means that they aren't perfect and that they are certainly going to change. I suppose, however, it's still pretty fun to argue about. App Raiden Gall. 
The Nashville Predators were voted most likely to fade by ESPN in their most recent NHL polling, which means basically absolutely nothing, but were unfortunately proven correct by Nashville on Tuesday night in a 3-0 loss to Toronto on the road. After the result, the Preds are now 8-2-1 in their last 11 games and 9-6-1 overall on the season. Thursday night's game against Ottawa has actually been postponed since the Senators are not allowed to play hockey games anymore for the time being. It's a COVID thing. So instead of being back on the ice on Thursday night in Ottawa, the Preds will actually face the Montreal Canadiens on Saturday night at 6 p.m. And a couple of extra days of rest after so many nights on the road. It was supposed to be 9 out of 10 games on the road. It turned out, I guess it'll only be... 8 out of 9 on the road, is only going to help this team rest, relax, regenerate, and do all the things a hockey team needs to do to recuperate and get ready to play another stretch of big games. As I mentioned, they'll be back on the ice on Saturday against Montreal at 6 p.m. It's time for your golden nuggets of the week, of course, from the guys over at the Club and Country podcast, Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan. And as Nashville SC gets prepared for a home playoff match with Orlando City next Tuesday, the guys take a look at the history of the rivalry and how it's developed over time between O-City and Nashville SC. Nashville and Orlando have played six times. Each team has won just once. The other four matches have been draws, including the last three. Every time these teams played this year, Tim, it ended a draw. Yeah, last year they went 1-1-1, one, one, and one, splitting the games in Orlando and, and drawing the Nashville leg. This year, two more draws in Nashville, one in Central Florida. I think when you look at the way the games played out, uh, you feel a little bit better about playing in Nashville for sure. And I, that's been the case regardless of who the opposition is. But certainly there hasn't been anything to slide between these teams all year with how close these results have been. And the scoreline tells the story too, as you would expect. The total score between those six games, among those six games, Orlando 10, Nashville 9. So an average team of just over three combined goals per match. Both teams have scored every time. Neither has notched a clean sheet. Neither has been shut out in any of those six matches. It's not something you would expect from a Nashville team that, of course, has a good attack, but but again, is is defensively driven. What is it about this matchup that seems to open up the respective attacks for these teams? Yeah, I think some of it is just the, the style that Orlando plays, which is getting the fullbacks high up the field to create chances. Um, obviously, they do it a little bit less when they don't have their first choice fullbacks, as we saw uh, in the final game between these two this year, but they still do it. Um, that's a style that Nashville really does like to play against because they want to play into that space behind high fullbacks, and that's how they like to generate their attacks. Um, obviously, we've seen penalties. We've seen set-piece goals. So some of it is just kind of a little, maybe a little bit of the randomness, but um, you know, it's developing into a nice little rivalry, and I guess when you see that, it's something that you, you look at and say, okay, maybe they're just coming to play, and, and you're getting – whether that's maybe a little bit of a goof from Pedro Galese or or from Joe Willis, or it's something that the the attacking players step up because of the rivalry factor. It's really something that's kind of developing a little bit more, and maybe uh, with a little bit of fireworks in Nissan Stadium on Tuesday, it'll be something that, that uh, takes the rivalry to the next level. There is your quick look at the history between Orlando City and Nashville SC. Of course, your golden nuggets brought to you by the guys over at Club and Country, Wes and Tim, just trying to make everybody smarter soccer fans in Music City. Make sure you go check out that podcast, Club and Country, out everywhere podcasts are found. The 440 is delivered to you every single morning for free by the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website, and if you have a home and you may ever need some work done on it, big-time stuff, make sure you talk to the Kingston Group. You need a plan. 
It's not that complicated. BuildKG.com is the website. Remember the name, The Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, please share the show. That is all that we ask. My name is Braden Gall. Follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall, at 440 Media on Instagram. This has been the 440 for Wednesday, November 17th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.